So I, I, heard this, uh, I heard this story the other day, it was a pretty good story about this, this guy that went off to college and he took this test and he wrote a paper and he got the paper back and, and on the paper was a zero and he just, he went to the teacher and he said, look, he said, I do not deserve a zero. And, and she said, you're exactly right, but that was the lowest grade that I could give you. <laughs> I have never been a good test taker. And so, uh, but believe it or not, the Bible has something to say about taking a test. I want you to turn over with me into the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But I want you to think just about this. Because when we talk about the Bible talking about test taking, let me just say this. Every time we get a paycheck, we take a test. Every time. How we use and distribute the resources that God has blessed us with demonstrates not only our affections, those things that we love, but also allegiance, those things that we are committed to. Now, think about this just for a second. When, when you pay your bills during the month, and I don't know what bills you have. Some may have cell phone bills. You may have car bills. You may have house bills. You may have food bills, cable bills. I don't know the bills that you may have, doctor bills, uh, school bills, but when you pay those bills, let me just say, none of those bills that you pay have the ability to bless you, and yet God does. He does. And I want to go back to the book of Malachi, and, and we're going to talk about uh, that test today. Now, we started out talking about the, uh, our, our title, our of the series was making changes and there's I mean if we're honest there's lots of changes in life that we need to make whether they're they're uh, what we eat or the amount of exercise that we get or how we treat people or you know whatever it may be but the changes that we've been talking about have been in the area of our resources and and how we treat the resources that God has blessed us with recognizing that everything that we have comes from him and I want to say this, that, that doing this series the past several weeks has been really hard because I know that there's a tension. I told you up front, listen, some of you might not want to come over the next several weeks if you don't want to hear about this because it was going to get all up in our business because that's what it is. Anytime you talk about money, it has the ability to be divisive, uh, to be a barrier for those inside as well as outside the church because the perception is always this, that when you talk about money, when you talk about resources, you only talk about it because there's somebody wants more. But I want to look you guys in the eyes today and just say this to you. If I don't tell you what I have been learning and what I feel like God has been showing me, I'm not doing what I should be doing for you. Because I believe that what God has been sharing with me, that um, I, I have just had this burning desire to, for every one of you to know what God's Word says so that you can apply that to your life because I promise you, I promise you, when you do things God's way, I promise you things seems to work a lot better. I had taken Caleb and, and Anna, we were talking the other day in the car because um, we've been focusing on the issue of finances and resources and tithe, and I just looked at them at one point and I said, guys, let me tell you something. When you do what God says... God will bless you. When you do what God's word says, he will bless you. And that's the truth. Very much so the truth. And so I just, there's no way that I can stay silent on this subject because what the scripture has to say about the issue of the tithe is very, very important. Uh, because it not only when we tithe, when we do what God's word says, 
It not only says, okay, God, I'm putting you in the place of first position in my life, but what it also is, it's a tangible way of demonstrating the faith that we say that we have. There's a lot of people that say, listen, I believe, but do you really believe? Or is it just something that's convenient? So let's finish up today in the book of Malachi. I'm going to move around in several different places. We're going to start in chapter 3 to sort of give you a little bit of an idea where things are at. 538, Zerubbabel was allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The temple was rebuilt in about 515. The people were still in disarray. Um, and so about 445, Nehemiah was given permission by uh, King Artaxerxes to go back and to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah went back, secured the resources, and rebuilt the wall in 52 days. Incredible. Great show of God's power, his strength, his provision, yet within a short amount of time. And I say short amount of time. We're talking maybe 10, 15, 20 years at the most. Here are the people that were so encouraged and listen, hey, God, we're not going to leave you. God, man, we're just committed to you. We're going to obey everything that you said. And all of a sudden, guess what? They're back to doing the same old thing again, disobeying the Lord, rejecting his commandments. And so here is God sending Malachi, the prophet, to speak to the people. And this is what he says to them, that way we find in chapter 3. Before you get to chapter 3 in verse, I think it's in chapter 1, he, he addresses the issue of the sacrifice and how they were defiling the sacrifice and bringing to the Lord uh, defective sacrifices. And then he talks about a little bit later the, the issue of marriage because they had intermarried with these pagan women and brought their uh, religious practices into the home or into the into their uh, homes. And here in chapter three he deals with the issue of the tithe, and he says this in chapter three. He says, "I am the Lord, and I do not change." That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. In verse seven, ever since the days of your ancestors. You have scorned my decrees, and you failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Here's God saying, listen, guys. Why is it after everything that I've done, everything that I have dis, dis, that I have dis, um, displayed to you, my glory and my power, why is it that you guys still disobey me? The law that God had given them, was it because he hated them? Was it, but it was because he loved them. You know, I, I think that one of the most discouraging times as a parent is when you're talking to your kids and you've got something that you want to do for them, you want to bless them, you want to encourage them, and for them to look you in the eye and totally ignore what you're trying to tell them. You ever been there? You ever tried to give your kids encouragement? You ever tried to, to spur them along and, and because you want to tell them maybe if it's something that you experienced and you're like, go, hey, this, don't do that. Because let me tell you what the results of, of that disobedience would be. Let me tell you what the actions to that might be. And you share that with them and they just totally turn around and they do totally opposite of what you tell them. It's got to be a, such a, a discouraging time when they refuse the instructions and they refuse to obey. And here's God saying, look, guys, not only have I loved you, but I've always loved you. And I gave you those instructions, yet you continue to refuse to listen. But, but listen, if you'll repent and you'll turn to me, I'll forgive you. And their response was, 
return? Lord, we've never left you. Now, when I was in student ministry, there was this running joke that happened. Pastor Sid, how did you know that? Pastor Sid knows everything. <laughs> Tell my kids, Dad, how did you know that? Listen, Dad knows everything. God knows everything. He knows everything. He sees all. He hears all. Even those things that you don't think he does. And here's God's response. Should people, should they treat, should they cheat God? Now in the international version translation, it, it, it uses the word rob or, or steal. In other translations, will a man rob or cheat or steal from God? And, and it goes on to say, yet you have cheated you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Okay, God, be a little specific. I'm, I'm a little lost here. Would you tell me, would you be a little bit more specific? And he says this, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. In other words, the charges against the Jews at that time is, listen, you're withholding the tithes and offerings from the storehouse. And as a result of your disobedience, listen, the work of the temple is not getting done. The priest and the Levites, they're, 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 they're not able to do their work because, because of you. And look at what he says in verse 9. As a result, you're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Why? So there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. And I will pour out a blessing so great that you will not have enough room to take it in. And then he says, try me, just try me. Now the King James Version uses the word prove, the ESV translation uses the word test me. And so as he's saying, listen, try me, test me, put me to the test. And man, I love what it says in verse 11, your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from the insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven arm, heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says who? The Lord of heaven's armies. In other words, again, the Lord who does not change. And God says, look, you guys have been disobedient, and you're not following the things that I've told you to do. And as a result, you're under a curse. You're under a curse. But if you would just obey me, I would do something in your life that would far exceed anything that you could ever dream or imagine. And the tithe wasn't just something that was instituted by the priest and the Levites, but God himself commanded it. When he, uh, and when we obeyed, when they obeyed it, it was a demonstration and an attitude of a thankfulness to God and, and faithfulness. And we may say, you know, listen, as a believer in Christ, that's not, we're not responsible for that anymore. That was under the law. There's no way that as a follower of Christ that I can be under a curse because Jesus bore the curse of, of the law on the cross when he died for my sins. But that was in reference to salvation. Let me just ask the question. There's no way that we can sin and do what's wrong and there not be consequences, right? I mean, think about this. I mean, if you lie, are there consequences? If you steal, are there consequences? If you have adultery, is there consequences? Yes. If you don't honor your father and mother, are there consequences? Yes, there are consequences. 
and a curse is a consequence. And you might say, well, listen, I'm not stealing from God because he owns it anyway. But he gives us stewardship over what he's entrusted us. And yet God reserves a tithe for himself, and he says it belongs to me. It's to be set aside as holy. And so here's God addressing them as a thief because they hadn't set apart the tithe. They didn't understand it belonged to him. But they kept misappropriating those funds, and they were stealing from him. It's the same thing we find in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament when the, when the Jews went into the promised land, and there it was in Jericho. They marched around the city. If you remember, God told them, look, he said, I want you to go in and destroy everything except for that which was in the house of, of Rahab, the prostitute, who had looked after the spies. And they did exactly that, except for one man by the name of Achan, who decided that he was going to take some of that plunder, and he, and he took it, and he hid it in his tent. And as a result of that, it was not only Achan that was punished, but the whole nation was punished because they ignored what God had told them. And then there are those that will say, one of the reasons that I don't tithe is because the tithe is just an Old Testament principle. But you say what you believe and what you think, but just because it says it doesn't steal, uh, don't steal in the Old Testament, does it not mean that it's not applicable for us today? Because it is. So what I want to do is I want to give you just a few things in reference to the tithe. You can write these down. Number one, the tithe is a test. Listen, there's a battle, there's a war that's going on between flesh and spirit, between light and darkness. And when somebody gets over set, upset over the issue of tithing, it always comes back. And the question is, why? I mean, why in the world would that even be a question for you? Why would you get so upset about the issue of tithing? Why would that cause so many tensions within your life? Why would somebody even begin to argue about that? I mean, especially when God gave us everything. And we argue because it's a test. It's a test. Why did God choose 10%? I have no earthly idea. I don't know. I mean, there are some people and scholars and theologians that have their ideas. Some people say that the number 10 used in the Bible represents not only responsibility, not only completeness, but also testing. Let me give you some examples. This is nowhere near an exhausted lift, but let me just give you some examples. I mean, just in the book of Exodus, how many plagues did God send? There were 10 plagues, 10 plagues that God sent. You could say that God was testing the heart of Pharaoh 10 times. Um, how many commandments do we have that God gave Moses to the Israelites? 10 commandments. How many times did the Israelites disobey God in the wilderness? Now, you probably don't even have a clue that number, but just because we're talking about the number 10, you're probably going to say 10. And you're exactly right. Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 through 23 it says this, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you ask. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, who, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will see the land that I have promised on oath to their ancestors. Not one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. So that generation wandered around and around and around in the, in the wilderness, and they died off before there would be an opportunity for the new generation to move in. What about in Genesis chapter 24? Genesis 24, here's Abraham. He sends one of his servants off to go find a, a, a wife for his son Isaac. He sends him off to his homeland, and before he left, he gave him how many camels? 
10 camels. He, he gave them 10 camels and he said, look, he said, I want you to go here and this is what I want you to do. I want you to bring back a wife for my son. So here it is, the servant goes off and somewhere amid on the trip, he goes, man, what in the world am I going to do? So he prays and he says, I know exactly what I'm going to do. He said, for the woman that comes and offers me uh, a drink of water, but not only offers me a drink of water, but she would offer to give my camels a drink of water. That's the woman. That's a good woman, right? That's a good woman, right? That's a great woman, especially if you know how much camels drink. 30 gallons of water, they say, in 15 minutes for a camel that's thirsty. That's a lot of five-gallon buckets of water to carry. Wow. That's exactly what happened. Rebecca would not only... Uh, she would not only give the servant a drink, but she also passed the test by volunteering to water his camels. And then in Genesis chapter 28, we've got Isaac now has two sons by the name of Jacob and Esau. If you remember, Jacob stole Esau's, uh, he, he stole his birthright. Man, it caused a lot of family problems. All of a sudden, mom and dad said, listen, buddy, you need to get out of Dodge. If you don't, things are going to get really tough around here. So Jacob leaves, he goes off. And in the midst of that journey, he, he sits down, he lays his head down at night. He has a dream, and the dream was that the God was going to bless him with the land that he was, and he was also going to bless him with many descendants. And when Jacob woke up, guess what he did? He called that place Bethel, the place where God resides. And he said this, he said, Lord, he said, listen, I'm going to take, and I'm making a commitment now to give you a tithe or a tenth with everything that you bless me with. If you go on to follow that story on out, it goes to talk about um, Jacob and how he ended up meeting Rachel, and he fell in love with Rachel, and he wanted to marry Rachel, and said, but his uncle, he just happened to be her cousin, I know we've sort of made it past those things, right? You know, if you probably go back in your family history, you'll find out where you've got some brothers and sisters that married each other, if you find that out. But here it is, he falls in love with Rachel. Worked for me for seven years, you can have her hand. He works for seven years for her, all of a sudden, it's that time he marries her. The next morning he wakes up and it wasn't Rachel, but it was Leah. Now that's a whole nother sermon series, okay? <laughs> what in the world have you done? He said, well listen, you, it's our custom that you got to marry this. The oldest one has to get married before the youngest one. So he makes an agreement to work another seven years for her. And he did so willingly. But during that whole time, his wealth increased as well as the number of children. And then the time came when he was ready to take his family and to go back home. And after a series of events, he takes Rachel and Leah. He takes them out in the field where they're tending sheep. And Jacob says this, your father Laban has cheated and tested me. Uh, by changing his wages 10 times. 10 times is what the Bible has to say. 10 times God was testing my heart. Or if you go on to the book of Daniel, you see where the king had assigned food for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had been uh, exiled from out of Judah, and here they are in Babylon, and now they're, they're subject to the king's resources and the king's table. But Daniel said, listen, that's not what we want. He said, listen, just give us some vegetables and water. And the servant said, listen, I don't want to do that. Man, my, my head's on the line. And Daniel said, do it. The attendant agreed. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 14, it said that Daniel's suggestion, uh, he took and agreed to Daniel's suggestion, and he tested them for 10 days. Wow. 
Now, in the New Testament, we see the parable of the bridesmaids in Matthew chapter 25. Guess how many virgins were tested? Ten. Five wise, five foolish. And we can say that the giving of a tenth or a tithe represents testing. And it's a two-way test. God not only says, uh, God not only tests us, but it's the only place in Scripture where we see where God says, test me, try me, prove me. And God is saying, listen, I just want you to test me. And I want you to know that I'm right. Because I want to open up the windows of heaven for you and I want to bless you. Because it's blessing that follows obedience. And then there's those that say, well, that come as a result of the law. But listen, this principle of tithing and the tenth was, was, it, was um, it was already there many, many years before the law ever was put in place. So tithing is a test. Second of all, tithing is biblical. Tithing isn't just something that's made up, but it's, it's, it's in the Bible. Look at Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20 with me. Let me share this passage with you. This is 500 years before the law was, was ever given. In Genesis chapter 14, it says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God most high, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram this, this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. And look at what he goes on to say. Then Abraham gave Melchizedek, what? A tenth. A tenth of all the goods that he recovered. That's 500 years before the law. And then we read the story a while ago about Jacob and what he had promised, a tenth. It's the principle of the tenth. And then Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. We've talked about this several times, but turn there if you can find it this fast. Man, if you're one of those Bible scholars and can run right through it. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the field or fruit from the trees, he says, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart as holy. And then, after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, here it was, all the ancestors of, of them had died off, and Moses pulls them aside and look at what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 26. He says this, When you enter the land that your Lord God is giving you as a special possession and you have conquered it and settled down, put some of your first produce, first fruit, from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place your Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. And then the passage that we read last week, uh, or two weeks ago, about in, in the book of Matthew, in the New Testament, what Jesus had to say, specifically when he says in Matthew 23, 23, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're so careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens or your spices, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. And watch this. And then he says, You should tithe yes but do not neglect the more important things listen you know there there are people that give but just because they give doesn't mean that their heart is right can i say that again there are some people that give i mean these pharisees here they were giving 
but their hearts weren't right. See, it's not the tide that enables the blessing, but it's the condition of our hearts. And Jesus said, listen, the tithe, yes, but not at the expense of justice, mercy, and faith, which flow from our, our hearts. God doesn't need the money that we have. He just wants our hearts. That's what he wants, our hearts. Have you, have you ever walked into your kid's room? You ever tell them, told them to, to go and clean the room? And you walk in and you go, oh, my word. Man, you did great. I can't believe you did such an awesome job. Kids smiling at you. Got it. Did good. But you smell something. You don't know what it is. And you start doing a little research. And you open up the closet and you're like going, what in the world? You look under the bed and you're thinking, oh my goodness gracious. Sure, the floor is clean at first glance. Everything looks good, but when all of a sudden you start doing some inspecting behind the scenes, man, the closet is full of junk that they've just thrown in there. I mean, wrappers, old food, whatever you want to, it's all been thrown in the, in the closet. If you look up under the bed, all these dirty clothes and stuff, no wonder you've not been washing clothes. Parents, listen. If, you, if you're not washing a lot of clothes with teenagers in the house, you got a problem, I promise you. Either they stink or they're doing something with their clothes because teenagers wear a lot of clothes. It's easy to give the outward appearance of obedience and commitment in the condition, yet the condition of the heart is still unchanged. And Jesus said, listen, I'm not so concerned about the outside as I am the inside and what's going on behind the scenes. Write the third thing down. The tithe is a blessing. Um, turn over. We've got a couple of minutes. Turn over in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 31. 2 Chronicles chapter 31. Let me bring you sort of up to date on where things, things are at in 2 Chronicles chapter 31. So you had three kings in the monarchy. You had Saul, David, and Solomon. Solomon built the temple. The temple, um, after, after Solomon was, was died, uh, the, the kingdom was split into two. It was split into the north and to the south. It was divided, ten, ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south, Israel and Judah. There were 19 kings in the north over a, over a series of events before um, before the north was destroyed by the Assyrians because of their evil, because of their wickedness. As a matter of fact, out of those 19 kings, zero of those kings were called or considered to be good kings. In the southern territory, in the southern um, nation, um, Judah, where Jerusalem was the capital, there were 20 kings, and out of those 20 kings, eight of those kings were considered to be good kings. One of those kings was a king by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was totally different from his father because his father was a very, very evil man. His name was Ahaz. And when Hezekiah um, came into office as king, he reigned for probably 29 years. But one of the first things that he did when he came into office is he reinstated the worship at the temple. He also reinstated the sacrifices. He went on to, to reinstate uh, other things that his father had laid to the side. And he called the people to repent. 
He allowed them the opportunity and called them out to, to begin to celebrate the festivals and celebrations that, that God had directed them so that they would never forget about the great things of God. And here it is, Hezekiah directing the people to follow and obey the Lord. Um, and one of the things that he did is he reinstated the tithe because he said, listen, I want our people to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And I want to pick up the story because in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, but Hezekiah reinstated the tithe because he knew that the nation was under a curse because they had been stealing from God. And this is what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verse 4. In addition, he required the people in Jerusalem, this is Hezekiah, to bring a portion of their goods to the priest and the Levites so that they, can vote, they could devote themselves fully to the law of the Lord. So he said, listen, man, I want you guys to bring those resources in so that the priest and the Levites, those who are responsible for what takes place at the temple, for the ministry, for the carrying on of the ministry, I want you to bring those resources in so they aren't hindered. And that's exactly what they did. See, uh, when you guys come in here on Sunday mornings, my prayer is that that was natural food. My prayer is that every Sunday or whenever you're here, when you're hanging out as a group of people, that you'll be fed spiritually. That's the goal for us to be able to grow. And you know where your tithes and offerings go? It goes to pay for salaries. It goes to pay for these lights that are on. It goes to pay for electricity. It goes to pay for uh, all kinds of different things as well as ministry that takes place in here, in this area, as well as around the world. And here it is, and it's all for extending the kingdom. And here he goes on to say in verse 5 in 2 Chronicles 31, he says this, When the people of Israel heard these requirements, these expectations, he said they responded generously by bringing the first share of their grain, new wine, and olive oil, honey, and all the produce of their fields. And they brought a tithe of all that they produced. And the people who had moved to Judah from Israel because, because they had moved from Israel to Judah because Judah had been destroyed in 722 by the Assyrians. So they had moved down. And even those that had moved down, they brought their tithes and the things that had been dedicated to to the Lord their God. And they piled them up in great heaps. And in verse 7 it said they began piling them up in the late spring. And the heaps or the piles continued to grow until early autumn. When Hezekiah and his officials came and they saw these huge piles. They thanked the Lord and his people of Israel. And look at what he said. Where did all this come from? That was what Hezekiah asked the priest and the Levites. And Azariah, the priest, the high priest with the, from the family of Zadok, replied, Since the people began bringing their gifts to the Lord, to the Lord's temple, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare. And look at those last words. The Lord has blessed his people, and all this is left over. So Hezekiah the king sends out this decree, this command, and they were supposed to tithe. They were supposed to give of their resources. And they were supposed to bring it there to the temple. And that's exactly what they began to do. And because they were faithful to carry out what God had instituted, it said that all of a sudden the piles began to, to increase, increase. And when Hezekiah and the leaders saw all that had been given, they were overwhelmed with the faithfulness of God's people. And they gave thanks to God. The Lord blessed them because of their faithfulness. And let me tell you what else happened. 
it became a testimony to the people that were watching. That's exactly what happened. It became a testimony to the people on the outside of God's provision. You know, I've been a believer for many, many years. Many years. I don't think I've ever met a person that would tell me, you know, Sid, I am so sorry that I tithed. I don't think I've ever met a person that would say to me, Sid, I, you know what, I don't understand why my wife and I ever tithe because our life has gone nothing but down, down to the pit since we started tithing. I've never heard that. But I have heard, you know, Sid, my life began to change when I began to follow God and obey him and do what he wanted me to do. And all of a sudden, I began to notice that there were blessings that I didn't even expect. Never expected. And I know that it's because I want to honor God with my heart and with my resources. See, it changed our marriage. That's what happens when all of a sudden we begin to honor God and we begin to follow him and obey him. It's those things that we can measure and those things that we cannot measure. You know, when it said earlier in that passage of Scripture, it talks about the insects, about the insects wouldn't bother the food, and all of a sudden the grapes wouldn't fall from the vine. You'd be surprised how many times those unmeasurable things happen in our life because either we're, we're being faithful to the Lord or we're not being faithful. Does that make sense? On the other hand, time and time again, I've heard people that have struggled with the tithe to say, there's no way that I can afford to tithe, which, uh, and my response is, you know, you're never going to be able to tithe until you make a decision. Simply put, you're never going to be able to tithe until you make a decision to tithe. But to be faithful of the tithe, what it says is, God, I believe it belongs to you. I want to set it aside as holy. I, God, I recognize that everything comes from you, and I want to put you at the first position in my life. I want to do that. And what tithing does... What being generous does, it breaks the curse of unfaithfulness, whereas greed breeds discontentment. Generosity and tithing breaks the bondage of greed that leads to discontentment. The, the obtaining of stuff will never fill the hole that you have. It never will. It never will. I heard this illustration one time. Maybe I can share it with you and do it justice. Let's just say that I'm going to be gone for a long, extended period of time. Let's say a long, long time for 12 months, 16 months, 18 months. I pull my kids together and I say, okay, Abby, Caleb, and Anna, this is what I want you guys to do because I'm going to be gone for a long time. I want to make sure that your mom is taken care of. So I'm going to give you guys something. I'm going to give you $1,000 a piece each month. I'm going to make sure that it's put in your account. Each one of you will have $1,000 a piece. The only thing I'm asking for you is to take 10% or $100 and to make sure that your mom gets that once a month. Can you guys do that for me? Well, Dad, that's easy. That's simple. Listen, the only thing I'm asking you is to take 10%. I want you to make sure that your mom gets it because I want her to know that she's loved, that you're thinking about her, that you care about her. And so... You guys think you can do that? Listen, you can do whatever you want to do with the other 90%. I just want you to take 10%, and I want you to set it aside and make sure your mom gets it. So time goes on. A few months pass. I call. We're, we're talking back and forth. And so I finally decide to ask Meredith, Meredith, how, how are things going? Oh, things are going well. You know, uh, um, is anything special happened around the house? Well, you know, it's really funny that you say that because um, 
ever since you left, I've gotten a check for a couple of hundred dollars from, from Anna. I said, huh. And she goes, you know, it's funny because it happens about the same time every month. She, I get a check from her. Ever since you left, she's done that for $200. It's very interesting. Well, and she said, you know, it's really crazy because I get a check for $100 from Abby. And this has happened every month since you left. And I, and I said, well, what about Caleb? And she says, well, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> she said, you know, it's funny that you say that because, I, you know, after you first left, I, he gave me $50. And then um, about a month, month and a half later, he gave me another $25. And, but I've not heard from him since that time. And I said, oh, okay. It's pretty interesting. How do you think that'd make me feel? Here I've blessed them. I've gave them something that they didn't deserve. The only thing I asked of them was to, to give 10% to their mom to make sure that she knew that she was taken care of and she was cared for. They could do with the 90% whatever they wanted to do. I just wanted to make sure that their mother was taken care of. So what do I do? Maybe I ought to Quit blessing Caleb, and maybe what I ought to do is take that which I was given to him, and maybe I ought to split it up amongst his other two sisters to make sure that mom is taken care of because they were being trustworthy and faithful. And you say, that is the dumbest story I think I've ever heard. No. You say, God would never take away something or give it to another person. How about going to Matthew chapter 25 and read it in red? Jesus himself is the one that told the story. God desires to provide for us and to bless us more than we could ever imagine. But will we pass the test? How will we do? Going back to Malachi, he says, listen, why don't you try me? Why don't you put me to the test? Because I want to pour open the, the gates of heaven. And I want to bless you more than you could ever imagine. But we don't give to get. We give out of obedience and faithfulness. God says, put me to the test. Honor me. Will we honor God with the tithe? Because when we do, this is what it says. God, I understand that it belongs to you and you were the one that gave it. And not only am I going to give it to you, but it's going to be set aside. It's going to be set aside as, as holy for the work of the ministry. Just fourth really quickly write it down it's a choice it's a choice here it is Joshua they had divided the children they've come into the promised land a period of time they had, the land had been divided amongst the tribes it was now a season of peace Joshua calls the elders together to remind them of everything that God had done to warn them not to disobey the Lord because disaster was always lurking and in his final words he encouraged the elders he said guys listen he said be careful be careful. Do not give in. Do not worship false gods. Put God first in everything that you do. And near the end of the book, Joshua, in chapter 24, used those famous words when he says, look, guys, man, I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, I choose to worship the Lord. 
It's a choice. It's a choice that you have to make. It is a choice that your children have to make. You cannot press that on them. It's a choice. They've got to make it. It's a personal choice. Will I obey him or will I reject him? Not only in the tithe, but first and foremost, will we trust him with our lives? Would you bow with me today? While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I know this has the ability to not set well, and I understand that. I'm only telling you this, guys, because I love you, and I want you to understand how much God wants to bless you. But he, he wants to bless you, and he wants to bless you through obedience, not through your disobedience. First and foremost, my question to you today is, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? See, there may be some of you here that question your faith. It's not about an issue of a tithe because you've never even given your life to Christ. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, my question is why? Whether you're in the balcony or whether you're here seated in the auditorium this morning on the bottom floor, my question is, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, what is it that keeps you, holds you back from making a decision to trust him with your life? If you've never made a decision... I wish I could tell you it was as simple as praying a prayer, but it is as simple as recognizing, number one, that you're a sinner. Number two, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and saying, listen, Jesus, I want to commit my life to you. I want to follow you. I want to put you first. I want to seek to obey you. I want to give my life to you. I want to confess my sins. I want to believe that Jesus not only died on a cross, but he died on the cross for me so that my sins might be forgiven. And if that's you today, right there where you are, you can make a decision to say, today I want to follow Christ. Right there where you are. You can make that decision. And if that's some of a decision that you're making today, man, listen, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything special. But what I would like to know is if you made that decision today, if that's a decision that you want to make, listen, write it on one of those yellow cards, put it in one of those offering boxes or text Text us. Let me know because I want to be able to follow up with you and talk to you more. We would love to follow up with you and talk to you more about your relationship with the Lord. But the second thing is this. Maybe you're here and you're, you profess to be a follower of Christ, but you struggle to tithe. The tithe should be elementary for us as believers, not secondary but firsthand, elementary. Today doesn't have anything to do. This whole series has nothing to do with condemnation. This isn't about me and you. This isn't about heritage and you. This is about you and the Lord. I have no clue what you give. I am so thankful that I have no, I have no idea. This is between you and the Lord. No condemnation. But everything that I have shared with you guys over the past several weeks has been what God's Word has to say about this subject. You just have to make a choice of how you're going to respond. That's it. Some of you may feel conviction, and that's, and that conviction is not for discouragement at all. It's not for destructive purposes, but it is for our good. And when we feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, what he's trying to do in that conviction is to realign our lives so that we'll be obedient and made into the likeness of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit at work. 
We just have to make a choice whether or not it's going to be my way or God's way. And a lot of stuff hinges on that. A lot of stuff hinges. It's simple. I've tried to do my best over the past several weeks to teach you what God's Word has to say and the importance and tithe. But God said, try me. Test me. (laughs) Just test me. Because I want to do something in your life that, that totally, totally, radically surprises you. But I can't do it unless you give it to me. Father, I ask today for for a person that may be here that it really is not about a tithe of a resource, a finance, but it's about the giving of their life. If there's someone here today that doesn't know you as personal Savior, even today, would they be willing to make that decision to say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. Not 10% of it, not 20% of it, but I want to give my life to you. If that's you today, just would you talk to the Father about it? But Jesus, I pray for those that are, that are here that maybe struggle with the issue of, of a tithe, of generosity. Father, I pray that you would speak truth into us and that the Holy Spirit would convict us in areas that maybe we struggle. Father, that it would reaffirm and, and affirm and encourage us in those areas that we're being faithful. Help us to be faithful, to to be obedient, and in that obedience, express and experience your blessings. Father, I want to be like the people of during Hezekiah's time, that all of a sudden, they begin to realize, and and they obeyed the commands, and, and, and the piles begin to grow, and the ministry begin to increase because of the blessing and the generosity of the people. I pray you would bless us far beyond anything we could ever dream or imagine. Not because we need anything, not because we want to do great things for you, but God, we want to be obedient with what we do have. Thank you for the generosity of this people. Father, may we continue to be generous in all that we do. May we continue to be faithful to ministry, not only here, but to ministry around the world. Would we experience a blessing? as a result of that obedience. Now encourage us as we go out, remind us of the opportunity that we not only have to tithe the resources, but also to tithe our time to give of our lives. That as we walk out these doors, that we understand that we're walking into the ministry field and every day we have opportunities to, to demonstrate your faithfulness to the world in which we live, to be your lights in the midst of darkness. Help us to recognize that we are your ambassadors. For Chandra today, I pray for him and I pray for Susmita and Samuel that you would bless them, encourage them in their work. Father, would they continue to honor you? Would you, be, would you protect them and continue to provide for them as they are faithful in ministry? Thank you, for, for Father, for, for hearing us, for being a part of our time today. May we be encouraged as we leave this place. In your name we pray. Amen.